For years, Humble Howard has entertained millions as one of the most listened-to morning radio hosts in the country. With partner Fred Patterson, the duo helped define an entire generation of radio. All the while, Howard was hiding a secret. He had become an alcoholic. On this episode, Howard Glassman is my guest, promising to speak candidly about his addiction, how he kicked it, and what it's meant to his life today. The Morning Man, waking up sober, right now on the Mental Health Podcast. I'm Kevin Frankish from Ontario Shore Centre for Mental Health Sciences. This is the first in a series of three podcasts, part of an addictions awareness page that you can find at ontarioshores.ca slash info. January 2nd, I was surprised to see a Facebook post from someone who ran in the same circles as I did in morning radio and TV. Eight years ago today, the post reads, I quit drinking and told no one. The accompanying photo was taken apparently back in 2016, showing him sprawled on the edge of a bed, passed out after a night of drinking. Humble Howard hasn't really talked much about this until now. Hi, Howard, or should I call you Humble? You, Kevin, can call me anything you want. Most people, but I come with like a, uh, I've got a prepackaged nickname. Yeah. And um, some of my uh, friends uh, call me Humble as a nickname. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm up happy. until can recently, you, you know, you, and you can I call me anything on, you uh, want. Just the, don't the call me late for dinner. At the same time, you know, you were always uh, in a, on a TV in the corner of a studio I was working at. Um, but until recently, we never really had a chance to have a long conversation. And uh, I really enjoyed when you came on the Humble and Fred show. Dude, you can come on anytime you want. I enjoyed it. It was fun. I, I hope I can come back. I mean, I love to chat, love to talk. And you know what? That's a perfect segue because I want to talk about you, about alcohol, alcohol addiction. I didn't know that you had a problem. Yeah. That was that eight years ago? Yeah, my uh, sober my sober anniversary just passed a few weeks ago. Now there's the picture that accompanies the post is, is you <laughs> laying right. on a bed. Um, Tell me about that. Well, that was an actual picture of me uh, one day uh, about a year before I quit drinking, where I was like I was like blackout, passed out, drunk. Oh, in a, that was wasn't a, a fresh picture. That that was an actual picture from eight oh, years yeah. ago. Actually, not nine years ago. And um, uh, I was on a golf trip with a bunch of guys, and uh, this was late in the evening, and uh, somebody else took that picture and showed it to me the next day, and I was like a big joke around. You know, it's like, a, like I, I, you know, when people think about people that are struggling with addiction or mental health, you know, they think it looks like something from the movies. I just, I, most of my friends didn't really know I had a drinking problem because I drank like they did. Mm-hmm. And um, that was kind of a, a joke I used to do in my act about. My friends were like, uh, "I didn't know I, I didn't know I didn't know you had a drinking problem because you know I, I didn't look any different than they did." But what they really meant was, "I didn't know I had a drinking problem." <laughs> <laughs> That's right, because because they all drank like I did. Let's go back to those days and who you were, or who you thought you were, outgoing, uh, a celebrity, or who everyone else thought you were. So. Being that outgoing celebrity, you must have had a bit of a wild side. So being a heavy drinker was not surprising or wouldn't have been surprising to many people. I would say guardedly, yes, because, you know, you've been around this uh, industry and game as long as me. You know, not everybody 
you know, because of the time that you and I and people who did our jobs got up in the morning, I was definitely the, the quintessential um, uh, example of a, a, a functioning alcoholic. I got up at 3.30 in the morning. I know it's, you got up even earlier than I did. But I went to bed and I did my job and I was very disciplined. But when I drank, I only drank abusively. To your point about the industry we were in, you know, there's lots of people that could drink and have a, a, a drink to excess and then not drink again for a while. I didn't have that. I would drink to excess all the time that I drank. Does, does that make sense? It makes sense. So why, though? You know, as I mentioned to you before we uh, started recording, like I, I've had, you know, uh, some... Like a lot of people, a lot of mental health issues. Although I was an early adopter uh, of therapy, I uh, my older brother's a psychologist, and and we would talk when I was a little younger, and then he sort of rec recommended to me early on that I might benefit by seeing somebody, and and he was right. And I didn't always talk about it, you know. People like you and Michael um, Landsberg and others have made it, I think, for a lot of people more at ease to speak about it but you know i definitely was involved in that world for a long time and part of it was fighting these uh these demons that i could cover up by drinking so to, I, again i apologize for being long-winded but to answer your question i think i drank like a lot of performers to cover up the insecurity and anxiety i felt socially mm-hmm and I don't know if you can relate to that, but yeah, I hear I you. recently when I, I, you know, I've been doing stand up my whole life. I went on stage opening for a friend of mine a couple months ago at the uh, Danforth Music Hall, a thousand people. And I was very comfortable standing up in front of them. But 10 people at a dinner party, I'm very uncomfortable. So I think, I think drinking, well, I know it did, I'm not think so. I drank to cover up those feelings. Mm hmm. And as I mentioned before, a celebrity with a drinking problem. I don't know. You tell me. Isn't that expected? Do, do, did others really see it as a problem? Well, yeah. That's why I said, you know, I was functioning. I was a pretty high-functioning alcoholic that most of my f sort of friends and acquaintances didn't really know that I had a problem because I wasn't, because I was very disciplined about it. Uh, my partner, Fred, uh, both life partner and radio partner, um, said this to me. He didn't really get that I had an issue um, until we started later. You know, it, it creeps up on you, like a lot of things, whether it's mental health or drinking. You know, you can cover it up to a degree, and at some point it kind of bursts through. A lot of people have breakdowns, and in my case, I got to the point where I couldn't, it wasn't cute anymore. I wasn't... Howard's just got himself a little bit hammered. I was really uh, like one of those people that if I drank, if we drank together, I would. I was like a booze bully. You would drink more with me than you would drink normally because I was a, I was one of those people that I wanted you to drink more so I could drink more. Now I want to be really clear here. I'm I'm not here to exploit you, uh, to 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 sort of be sensationalistic, but I just know that that being the person you are people will listen to you and maybe there's a part of something you say that can help to change some lives so having said that when did it hit you that you were an alcoholic <laughs> well first of all i don't feel like you're taking advantage of me and um, <laughs> um 
Listen, you know, I think we all know in those parts of our brains that, like, I knew something was wrong. I knew that. I knew a couple years before I made the decision to quit that things had gotten out of hand. You know, if you and I went for a beer, I'd order a scotch on the side. If we had a glass of wine, like I used to do that. I, I did a lot of stuff in my act about drinking. One of the premises I, you know, I did once, I was talking about how I couldn't understand the point of a glass of wine. Like a lot of people who don't have a drinking issue can have a glass of wine and then move on with their lives. And I used to think like, why would you just have one glass of wine? That's the kind of drinker I was. If I had a glass, it was going to be a bottle. And I used to do this bit because people would say, how did you know you had a drinking problem? Well, one night I was drinking a glass of red wine and I thought, you know, what would pair well with this? And the answer I came up with was vodka. <laughs> and uh, that's a true story. I, I thought, you know, I thought, because here's what I thought in my brain at the time. I thought, I'm not getting drunk enough. So I know what I'll do. I'll kick this baby up a bit and threw some vodka in it and sort of, that was around the time. That was around the time I started to think, maybe things have gotten out of hand. So I, um, it wasn't like I woke up in a gutter. I will say this, and I'm not proud of it, but it's the truth. I drove home from at the time I lived in, uh, I live in Toronto now, but at the time I lived in Oakville, and at least on more than one occasion, I drove back to Oakville. After being downtown, not super hammered, but probably more than I should have, that second or third beer, whatever it was, in my case, fourth beer, and I got back to Oakville knowing that I had just done something very dangerous. And I, that happened to me a few times. Not where I was blacking out, but definitely I, I recognized somewhere in my brain that that was uh, no longer, as you just said, no longer cute. Usually it's been people hit rock bottom. They make a choice. Um, when did you decide that enough was enough? You know, I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't, uh, you know, end up fighting with somebody or, you know, like I said, waking up in jail. Although I narrowly escaped, you know, a DUI for sure on more than one occasion. In the fall of 2015, um, I weighed myself and I was about 30 pounds heavier than I am now. And I remember that moment kind of being surprised by the weight gain because like a lot of things, it kind of snuck up on me. It was very uh, insidious. And so it was around September, October of uh, 2015. And I thought, you know, wow, like I'd never been that heavy. And then I kind of took stock of like, what was, you, know, you start thinking like, what has contributed to this? And you know, the, what, the big contrib contributor in my case was massive, and I mean, Kevin, massive amounts of red wine. That besides scotch, that was my, I wasn't much of a beer drinker. People ask me why I said, because beer takes too long. I got, I got no time for beer. You know? Exactly. Beer's like, I got to drink like seven beer before I get a buzz on, but I'll, you give me a martini, I'm ready to go. I'm on that runway. So that was part of it. I know that it was vanity. Part of it was vanity. And part of it was kind of like, it, it shocked me into this realization that, man, if I'm this heavy, things have really gotten out of hand. 
I mean, you're, I mean, you're more, you're, you're more conversant on mental health issues, I'm sure than I am, but we really can fool ourselves. We can really lie to ourselves. And if people don't hit rock bottom, they're just simply going to say, Hey, look, I'm handling it. No problem. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't end up going, uh, to a meeting, which by the way, I didn't, uh, I am kind of, I'm versant or conversant in the world of AA, although I didn't use it. Uh, I understand it a little bit, but, uh, no, I, I mean, I guess for a lot of people, they just, it's like finally enough's enough. And I think for men and women, but men in particular, as we get older, uh, I think it sneaks up on a lot of guys. I know a lot of men in my golf world and my golf group of guys that are functioning alcoholics. They just are. We know a lot of guys, men and women in our industry that are basically, you know, pretty functioning alcoholics. Well, I got to tell you, sometimes I wonder if I have a problem, Howard. I mean, I can put back an entire bottle of red wine, no problem. Uh, like, I mean, I don't get sick, I don't pass out, but it still makes me wonder. It makes, makes me think. And um, well, by the way, quitting the way you did, does that mean you can never touch another drop of alcohol? Well, I'll answer the second question first. I'm not curious to find out. Like, when I say I didn't go to AA, I've got a very close, close family member that did. So I've been to a lot of meetings uh, in, a ro in a supportive role, and that's one dogma, the whole doctrine of AA and how, like, you know, we can never touch a, you know, we're powerless over alcohol and it's a disease. For me, as much as I happy for the person that I know that's in it and the people that have found comfort there that doesn't describe me yes there was a powerlessness and I think that would be the way I would help you answer your own question about are you an alcoholic or are you have do you have alcohol issues if you feel powerless meaning you can't go a day or two or three or if you do you start to get a little bit antsy about it I mean that's probably a sign but not necessarily. I mean, everyone's different. But to answer your question about, you know, could I have a glass of wine now and be okay? Chances are very good. The answer is yes. But I'm not curious enough about it. I don't miss it enough to wonder what if it's not. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's sort of, I don't know if it's fear or just like, it never, I, I almost never think about it. This, this conversation that we're having is the longest conversation I've had about drinking for some time. What was your first question? I apologize. Oh, I said, I wonder if maybe if I'm drinking too much. Oh, okay. Well, again, you know, like I had a, I've had a few people reach out to me, and I, as I'm sure you have in the role that you've uh, taken on that want to you know, have a conversation like what, you know, when did you know, what did you, how would I know, uh, what should I do? And I, I always say that, like, you know, really it's up to you. Like I, I, no one can decide if you, if alcohol is an issue for you, let me put it a different way. No one could decide for you if your mental health was an issue for you other than you. And you took action admirably and you, wasn't you were an advocate for your own health so i would say the same thing you know uh 
and I'm not talking about having the DTs or the tremors or whatever, but if you can't go into a social situation or you can't go some number of days without having a drink, well, it's something, you know, you're a guy in your fifties. I mean, I guarantee you don't drink less now than you did 10 years ago. You have had to have done a lot of soul searching, a lot of thinking. What did you learn about Howard Glassman in the process? You know, that's a great question. Um, I think the first thing I learned was that that I'm I don't know if I learned that that I that I'm stronger willed than I would have thought. Although I don't believe in willpower, because once you decide not to do something, whatever that is, it doesn't take any willpower not to do it. And what I mean by that is, like you know, I have no desire to do heroin. And I know it sounds crazy, but so it takes no willpower for me not to do it. So I, I have, what I've learned about my relationship with alcohol is that I can be a, you know, fairly happy, you know, person without having that in my life. So that's why, excuse me, I say it, it takes no willpower for me not to do it. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase, a white knuckle alcohol, alcoholic. No. Or a, a white knuckle smoker. Basically... Like, I'm not, I don't feel any denial. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm denying myself. I'm not hanging on white knuckling it. You know what I mean? Um, and a lot of people will do that. Like, a, they do a dry January or a sober February, whatever it is. And for some people, it's very difficult because they feel like they're denying themselves. So, what I think I've learned about myself is that. Like, I never could have imagined that I could be a, a person in the world not drinking, going to parties and bars and functions and being in comedy clubs. Like, you know, I quit drinking on January 20, uh, 2nd, 2016, for years after. I've been basically in clubs and, and bars getting soda water. And just, and it's fine. You know, it's just fine. So what worked for you? Uh, what worked for me is um, I didn't make a grand declaration. I didn't tell a bunch of people. In fact, I, I wrote that in my post. I post every, I rarely post this kind of a thing, but every January 2nd for eight years, I've posted some thought about my anniversary. So what worked for me is this, and it's a little bit of the AA thing, but I, when on the day I stopped, I never told anybody. And I sort of said to myself, let's see if we can get to 100 days. I thought, okay, that's a good goal. Let me see if I can do that. And, and every day, they, you know, they, there's a thing in Alcoholics Anonymous is, you know, you don't, it's, I mean, it's a little bit of a, a bit of a dichotomy, if you will. But I had a goal of 100 days, but I also wanted to just quit for each day. So for the first 100 days, I never told anybody, didn't tell Fred. And I mean, this, I work with this guy every day. I went out with people and sort of like talked about being on a cleanse. So I'm just, a, I'm not going to have a drink tonight. I'm just on a cleanse. And, um, but as every day went by, I just thought, okay, I don't need to quit for a hundred days. I just need to quit for today. And so as they say in AA, anybody can fight the battle of one day. And it's kind of like that rinse and repeat. 
I got to 100 days, and I thought, wow, you know, I feel pretty good. Dropped a ton of weight. In that first 100 days, I must have lost 15, 8. I lost a lot of weight. And so I felt, pre I felt better, and I thought, okay, could I get to six months? And at six months, I thought, wow, dude, I've never, I hadn't, Got, I hadn't gone six months sober since I was like in grade four. <laughs> so I thought, okay, let's see if I can get to a year. And that's sort of kept on going ever since. Wow. You know, kicking an addiction, including alcohol, experts say you need help. But this sounds like you did it on your own. Am I right? You know, I, I, I should be, uh, I, I did a lot. I did it by myself, but I, I was going to say around the, Around the five-month mark, somebody at my golf course that knew I had quit drinking set me up with somebody that has become one of my dearest friends. He's a couple years older than me, and at the time I met him, he'd been about 10 years sober. And he's a guy in the golf world, good golfer, and, uh, but this, this guy sort of set us up, and he did me a favor. Um, because he, he knew that I would, res that this, this character I met, his name is Paul, sort of became my sponsor. If I, if I were in AA, he would be my sponsor. He's become one of my closest friends, but he was somebody around my age that had been through what I, what I was going through. And so I did have some help. I had somebody that I could talk to about drinking for a really long time. Not, and, and I, I never had any of those things you see in the movies where I called my sponsor in the middle of the night, I'm about to open a whiskey. But it was one of those things where, you know, I had somebody that had been through what I'd been through and could give me some guidance as to what I could expect uh, the first year or the second year, you know. And so I did have some help, for sure. I, I had somebody that was, you know, somebody, a sounding board, if you will. Now, our minds fool us into thinking it's worth getting your buzz on. But it also has to be worth not getting that buzz through drink. What, what makes it worth it not having a drink? You know, these are uh, literally some of the best questions I've ever been asked about drinking. Um, I look back, you know, before I get reflective, let me tell you in the present tense what makes it worth it is i'm just out here in the world you know there's no i don't have anything covering up my anxiety so when i feel anxious i i guess what i'm saying is i just feel everything the way it's coming in now yeah you know i still have mental issues for sure i do but i see things in a more clear way you know, I'm not there yet, but I know that physiologically I've made a lot of changes. I'm now 30 pounds lighter than the day I quit drinking. But somebody that I was once very, very close to saw me for the first time in nine years. This has just happened a couple months ago. And she said to me, wow, she said, you look so different. And I said, I know, and my hair is gray now. And, you know, I'm an old man. She goes, no, no, you actually look younger than the last time I saw you. And I said, why couldn't you say that? Because I was... 56 or 55 the last time she saw me you know i'm about to turn 64 and she said because your eyes are clear and and i th i thought that was interesting because she's the first person that has i've had a nine-year gap since she's seen me and 
my eyes are clearer now. And yeah, it's a bit of a drag sometimes because I can't, you know, when I feel anxious or I feel nervous or I'm pissed off at somebody, I can't cover it up. I can't, um, yeah, I can't mask it. I, because, because I can't mask it, I, I tend to feel things and then I deal with them and then I move on. And I think that's a gift, you know, I don't get too esoteric, but like I would have been, you know, I would have been very, very unhealthy had I continued down the path I was on and I wasn't going to live for a long time. Absolutely not. Well, it's amazing to hear someone I've heard for years, admired for years, speak like this and act like this. It takes a lot of strength. Where do you get that strength from, Howard? I, it's not, I don't, I, you know, it's not, I don't think it's strength. It's just like. But it is. I, I, I you know, I've never, I've never had a drink. Um, my, uh, my, my youngest daughter, who is, always makes fun of me. I don't know about your kids. But I, one of my favorite things is when my kids make fun of me. It's like being attacked by piranha that you trained. Yeah. So, <laughs> they, um, so one of them was bugging me once after I quit drinking. She goes, yeah, you don't drink, but you're on the marijuana maintenance program. <laughs> and, I was, and, I, I, and, and I would still be, because I, I don't think they're, because someone, you know, one year I talked about that in my post and I got a bunch of, you know, hate from people saying, yeah, well, you're not really sober. And I'm like, well, I don't care. However you define sobriety, that's up to you. But marijuana uh, definitely helped me um, because, because it wasn't the same type of addiction. 15 months ago, uh, my cardiologist suggested I stop doing that because of some uh, heart issues that I've had. And uh, so now... Which is a different reason, yeah. So, And I don't smoke anything. No THC of any kind, no gummies. So this is the cleanest and soberest I have ever been, you know, literally since the 1970s, you know, and uh, so I feel things even more than I used to. So, I mean, so as far as not sliding back with alcohol, some could say, well, sure, but you could still get high, which I did. But I know in my heart, they're completely different compulsions because I would go away for a month uh, to Mexico where I spend most of the winters now and never think about weed. I couldn't go the day without thinking about how I was going to, what thing I could do to set up a situation where I could drink to excess. So how do you get buzzed now? Or, or are you ever going to feel that way again, do you think? <laughs> I don't, I, well, that's the thing is that I don't, um, the, the truth of drinking is like when you smoke weed, you definitely get high. There's an elevation of something. With me, when you drink as much as I did, and this might resonate with people as well, there's a, there's it. you don't get high anymore. You just get kind of, it, it returns you to a feeling of, that's, you, that's normal for you. When you're not drinking, you feel a little bit, I used to feel more normal when I started to drink. As far as what I do now, like honestly, Kevin, I don't really, I don't really remember. I have a intellectual, I can have a conversation like we're having now about what drinking was and wasn't, but eight years is a long time not to have felt those effects. Um, I have non-alcoholic beer in the summertime. Took me, I, I didn't right away, but the last few years, like that, that category of, of beverage has definitely gotten better. 
it's weird. Like I actually drink. The weird thing is I drink more beer now than I ever did because I like a beer. What's a better one, by the way? Oh, Sober Carpenter is really good. Uh, there's a bunch. Of, Heineken does a nice zero uh, percent alcohol. Like you would, you know. There's lots of them, and the 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 category is taken off. Uh, the wine is still crappy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I have the odd one after golf, and it's it's kind of funny. I enjoy it. I don't crave it, but I enjoy it. Um, I wouldn't do it at first. It took a few years to get there. Probably after year five. But I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's a good answer. What gets me high? I don't really get high anymore. You know, I, I'll tell you one thing though. I sleep better. I have slept better the last eight years than I have. And you and I again, we share the the the, the curse of getting up in the middle of the night. But man, I sleep so much better now. Way better. Big, one of the one of the biggest benefits is that. Well, there's no doubt that you have a following. People listen to you. They trust you. Can you speak to those battling their own demons right here, right now? Well, I would say that it's kind of like, you know, they, that thing about investment, they, the analogy they always use, they say, well, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is today. And for me, you know, I probably should have stopped drinking years before I did because it was clearly an issue. But I, I would say to somebody listening who doesn't think, or whether they think or they don't, that they have the strength or the power, that not trying is worse than trying and failing. And the fact is, if you try, I think what a lot of people stumble with is they look at me or they look at somebody and they look at you and they say, wow, man, you know, Kevin, that's very brave of you to go and address your mental health issues. I could never do that. And, but the fact is you did. And, and really, all that, all that it takes is the, the little bit of momentum to go and try. Because I think most people will be surprised by the uh, strength they have inside of them. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've been to meetings downtown, and I've seen people get up and all walks of life and tell their story of sobriety from drinking and, and drugs. And they're all just like you and I, just people that one day said, you know what, I'm going to give this a shot. And then found out that it wasn't so onerous. I think that's the message. I would say that it's not as hard as you think it is. It's only hard. Here's a great card. It's not as hard as you think it is. It's only hard because you think it is. Did you make that up right now? Just did that now. I love that. Sir, I am going to embroider that on a cushion as soon as we finish. Say it again. Seriously, dude. Where does that even come from? I don't know if I can. It's only, it's not as hard as you think it is. It's only hard because you think it is. Brilliant. Brilliant. I'm going to save that. You know what, dude? I'm saving that for year nine. I'm writing it down. I do that's love brilliant. that. Okay. Well, that's, that, there's your ending. <laughs> there it is. There you go. And you are still on the air, humbleandfredradio.com. That's right. And we, podcast is available any, to, anywhere you get. Podcasts, we're into our We've done over 2,000 episodes. We started doing podcasts so long ago that people referred to them as internet radio shows. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Do you miss those old days when you were helping reinvent little CFNY in Brampton? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, like anything else, you know, that you did when you were in your late 20s or early 30s. And, you know, there was no better time to be a, you know, radio guy in Toronto than sort of from... 
You know, I wasn't there during the heyday of the spirit of radio, but I was there when it became the edge. And for about 10 years, man, it was the greatest job ever. Only, only bettered by the job hey, I you have You could have done and sold real estate. Fred and I will tell you that. The, the <laughs> ability to broadcast the way we're doing <laughs> Howard Glassman, yeah. In this current incarnation of our careers. <laughs> Howard Glassman. the craziest yes. thing that could have ever happened to us. Hey, you could have gone and sold real estate. Well, thank you. Would have made a lot more money. <laughs> Give me that saying one more would've time. Would have made a lot more money, buddy. <laughs> Howard Glassman. Beautiful. Listen, thanks, yes. thanks for Howard having Glassman. me on your show, thank and all the best this. to you. Well, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to talk to you. I appreciate it. And give me that saying one more time. It's not as hard as you think it is. It's only hard because you think it is. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. (laughs) Howard Glassman, thank you for this. You can still listen to Humble and Fred live weekday mornings on their Facebook page, Humble and Fred Radio, our coping segment. Coming up next here on the Mental Health Podcast. Mental illness can be a dark and lonely place. At Ontario Shore Centre for Mental Health Sciences, we're working to draw back the curtains and let the light in. We have a highly trained team working with patients every day on their road to recovery. Our world-class researchers are making great strides in revolutionizing mental health care. Our innovations are changing how care is delivered. We know you want to be a member of this caring community. For ways you can demonstrate your support for those alone in the dark, Go to ontarioshores.ca and click on Donate. Demonstrate your support for mental health. Join the Ontario Shores family and champion for a change. I know the path we walk together begins and ends with This message brought to you by the Ontario Shores Foundation for Mental Health. Time now for our coping segment, and this episode, it's a web address, ontarioshores.ca slash info. It's a site for everything you need to know about coping with and beating addiction. Whether it's booze, drugs, gambling, whatever, there is solid advice on how you can take your life back. From resources on where to get help, stories from people just like you, to a series of podcasts like this one on addiction, ontarioshores.ca slash info. Two more podcasts coming up in the series. Next week, meet a man whose addictions had him living on the streets, but he's now the mayor of a major Canadian city. Then two weeks from now, a politician like no other. When it comes to addiction recovery, he's actually walked the walk and continues to talk the talk for change. All the details at ontarioshores.ca slash info. All the details at ontarioshores.ca slash info. Until next time, I'm Kevin Frankish from Ontario Shores Centre for Mental Health Sciences. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the Mental Health Podcast. If you have any thoughts about this episode or suggestions for future episodes, please send me an email at thementalhealthpodcast at ontarioshores.ca. Please don't be alone. Reach out for professional help. For more resources and advice, check out our website, ontarioshores.ca. The Mental Health Podcast is a production of Ontario Shores Centre for Mental Health Sciences. I'm Kevin Frankish. Take care of yourself and take care of each other.